Good morning again, and uh, wonderful to see you, to see you all, and um, we have our third instalment on the, um, the doctrines that we're going through at the moment, the one on heaven and on hell, and the first three are obviously on heaven and r- relatively comfortable to preach, and more than comfortable to preach because it is our great hope, it's, it's a joy that we're looking forward to more than anything else that we can possibly even comprehend at this time. passage of Ephesians that we're looking at, we're actually only going to be concentrating on the last, on the last four verses. You would understand the topic this morning that we are citizens of heaven and strangers on earth. Citizens of heaven and strangers on earth. And there's an element of that that I'm sure all of you who know the Lord will be able to relate to in a very, very real way. So read just from verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an, unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do in every way, Lord, give you thanks for the work that you have secured for us, a work, dear Lord, that we could never have done on ourselves, on our own. And we ask you, dear Lord, that you would give us an understanding of heaven and the hope that we have through the sermon this morning, that it would bless you and that it would glorify you and that would encourage every single one of us. We thank you, dear Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Strangers in a strange land. There are... Sorry, Juliet. I forgot to turn you on. I got it. All right. I figured my head if it wasn't screwed on. There's so many things. We've, um, I don't know about you, but there's many of us that have, that have had an opportunity to travel. Um, we've gone to different parts of, uh, of the land. We've gone to different parts of, of the world. Uh, some of us have been able to enjoy cultures of people that are very, very diverse from our, from our own. Um, and even in Australia, I mean, Australia's a pretty big country, and if you've ever travelled from you know, the far south, which is where, pretty much where we are, not including Tassie, um, and gone to the far north, you actually see that there is, there is quite a bit of a difference. Um, if you've travelled from here into central Australia, you'll also see there's quite a difference. There's a stark contrast, not, not just the scenery. You go from greenery to red dirt. It was one of the things that, uh, that, we'd, that we'd experienced when we went to central Australia. But the cultures are different. The cultures are different. And, and, and when we're there or you're there, um, you're referred to as a tourist. You're referred to as a tourist. You're, you're there just to tour and to, and to see. You're there to see the sights and the, and, and the places that are around you. Some of us have done this. And we've all been in these places, but we've been there as, as visitors. Now... Depending on how different the culture is, 
we are seen also by those who live in those areas as strangers. We're identified by them as strangers. People that simply don't belong. People who have come and will one day go. You know, um, Foreigners is what we would be considered when we were visiting other, other countries and even other places. Um, foreigners that might indeed be bearing gifts. Some of those, those gifts might be physical. Some of those gifts might be ideological. Um, some of those ideas that we might bring, some would be considered foolish by the residents, but some of those ideas might be believed and then adopted by the residents. You see that as well. Marco Polo was a Venetian sailor uh, in Italy and he travelled to pretty much all of the known world. Um, he went from Venice to Jerusalem. He went through Turkey and Persia, modern-day Iran. He took his travels to the Caspian Sea and sailed through the Straits of Hormuz. He'd taken his journey through the Hindu Kush and onto the Silk Road of China. He attended the court of the Kublai Khan, the great-grandson of Genghis Khan. And he presented a letter from the Pope, an idea, a request. He then had sailed as far south as Sumatra, which is modern-day Malaysia, then on to India, finally taking, making his way back home. In each place that he'd went to, he was a stranger. To each land, he left gifts and he'd taken treasure. But in no place was he home. In no place was he considered a local. In every place, a stranger. Visiting places like this is really interesting and it's educational and sightseeing is what we usually do. But making it your home, however, is very different. Making it your home actually has very different consequences. And these consequences require a change. Now, not so much a change of wardrobe or a change of whereabouts, but also a change of ways. Because one of the things you're going to find that when you to live happily in a foreign land, either the foreigner will need to become more like the residents or the residents more like the foreigner or there's going to have to be a compromise between those two. Sort of a walking of a tightrope to a degree. Especially for those who want to maintain their own way but also live like the locals. Do you see where I'm going with this a little you're never going to feel at home as a stranger in a strange land where the way of the people is foreign to your own way. But how do you know that you're a stranger in a strange land? What's more, how have you become a stranger in the land in which you were born? Curious, isn't it? Moses was born in Egypt at the age of 40 years, he came out of Egypt and he dwelt in a foreign land called Midian for yet another 40 years. But while he was there, he also had a son and he named his son Gershom. And the meaning of the name was related to him being a stranger in a strange land. Moses and the people forsook the land of Egypt to enter into the land of promise until they found it, they were always going to be strangers in strange lands, even though they were born originally in Egypt, they were still considered strangers there. It's really interesting, you know. It's really interesting. 
They were born in Egypt, yet they were always seen as strangers. When we moved to Sunbury, we got told that you need to be here for 20 years before you're considered a local. Right? They were in Egypt for over 400 years, and they were still considered strangers. Australia is not 400 years old, as far as civilization is concerned. So they were still seen as strangers by the locals. You and I were born in this world. We ran the course of this world until the Lord had separated us from the ways of this world. And now we are seen as strangers by the locals. Turn to your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 is towards the back of your Bible before the book of Revelation. Peter here speaks of us and he reminds us of something concerning ourselves and how we used to be. 1 Peter chapter 4. And here in verse 3, he says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness. Lusts, excessive wines, revelings, banquetings and abominable idolatries. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Not unlike Moses, the people before they were called out of, of Egypt, we also grew up and lived with the people of the land. We, we, we had our conversation among the Gentiles until we were separated. We ran according to the course of this world, but something happened that changed all that. Something happened that changed all that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It's a passage that is before the one that we've been reading, but it begins from verse 1. And he says, Paul writes this simply. He says in verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Do you recognize that? You were born in this world. You took on the nature of this world. That nature of this world was a part of you. You identified with this world and the world identified with you. You were a local. You were a local. What changed? Well, what changed was that you were first given life. You were quickened. You were quickened. You were dead initially in trespasses and sins. And this life has changed us. It's made us strangers in the world. It's made us strangers in the world, but it's also made us strangers to the world. The locals no longer see us as local. They now see us as 
strangers. Our ways are not their ways. Our thoughts are not their thoughts. Where do we get that from? That's interesting, isn't it? God speaks to us in exactly the same way, doesn't he? My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. But we look at our relationship with the world and we, we see that there's a, a, a certain similarity, much, much different in degree, certainly, but a similarity. This was our home. This was how we lived in this home. We lived just like the locals who the passage tells us lived according to the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This, that is, the prince of this world. These are those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're strangers to heaven. They're strangers to heaven. None who are opposed to God can dwell with God. It's that simple. It's that simple. And yet all we did was believe the gospel. <laughs> So we did. We 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 become strangers to this world, but citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. We were washed. We were cleaned. We were justified by Christ, and that is the only reason we have this hope. We were just like the locals, but no more. No more. Turn your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter six. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to demonstrate to you that you were a local. You were part of this world. But something has changed. The Bible continues to speak about a change. Something has happened. You were like this, but no longer. It speaks of you in the past tense. And it does so continually. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I look at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Note the past tense of the description of you and I who were once likened to the locals. And such were some of you. What has changed? You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, and now you are strangers in a strange land. But you were not always this way. There was a time when you were strangers to God. The second point this morning, we're strangers on earth. Ephesians chapter 2, back there in verse 19. It says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. I want you to notice that... Um, Paul here is writing to the Ephesian church, which also includes you and I, by the way. The Ephesian church was a Gentile church. It wasn't a Jewish church. It was a Gentile church. It's interesting. Paul writes a lot to the Gentile church. Matter of fact, 13 of what I would say 14 epistles that he wrote was generally to Gentiles. The Gentile church, even the, even the, um, the pastoral epi epistles written to pastors, they were pastoring Gentile churches. 
except for the book of Hebrews. That's the only one that was written specifically to the Jews. Peter, however, Peter doesn't write to the Gentiles. Peter writes to the Jews. That's really important to keep that in, 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 in mind as you're going through the scriptures. Paul writes of the Gentiles of the Ephesian church, which includes you and I. We are no more strangers and foreigners. No more. In other words, we were strangers. Initially, we were locals, yeah? But being locals, we were strangers and foreigners to the citizenship of heaven. We were strangers and foreigners to God. We didn't have our citizenship among the saints. We were strangers there. We were locals. But something had changed. And all this confirms everything that we've already just read. We were indeed once strangers and foreigners of the household of God. We were indeed once identified with the fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers and extortioners, but no longer, no longer. We once lived according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, but no longer. We were indeed once dead in trespasses and sins. There was a time when we wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings and abominable idolatries. There was never a time our friends, the locals, thought it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. Why? Because we did run. We did run in the same excess of riot. There was no need for them to have spoken evil of you, but that's all changed. I don't know about you. I don't get spoken of well among, necessarily among my... Well, I don't think they speak about me anymore. So I think this... Do you know what happened to Eddie? Became a pastor. He's a Christian. So that no longer friends on Facebook, you know. Now you've spoken evil of. Now you've spoken evil of. And it would have indeed been required of us to give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. We were once locals. We were once locals, but no longer. We are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You sit there wondering why it is you feel uncomfortable in this world. You, you look at this world and you, and you see where it's going and you see its madness and you think, huh, this doesn't make any sense. But the interesting thing is they think the same thing of you. Why don't you think the way we do? You know, And the only reason for that is we have been changed by the gospel of Christ that we believed. There's nothing good about you or I with respect to any of this. If it wasn't for Christ, we remain locals. And this is the wonderful joy of the gospel because it's a simple message to be able to preach to a lost world. That they too who are right now strangers and foreigners to the citizens and the, and, and, and the fellow citizens of the saints, not fellow citizens of the saints, they can also be brought nigh. But it only comes from the gospel. And that gospel, beloved, is given you as a charge. That's your role. It's your job. It's what you're supposed to be doing. You know. We live here 
but it just feels like here is not home. We have our daily lives committed to this place. We follow its laws. We abide by its precepts while we are in this tabernacle. So naturally, we might ask, if we are the citizens of heaven, what are we doing here? (laughs) Well, we're going to be remaining here for a time. We're going to be dwelling here for a while. We are, the Bible refers to as sojourners. But we are also ambassadors. And I'll come to that in a minute. First, sojourners. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. You were there before. Turn back there, 1 Peter (coughs) in chapter 1. There's just one verse there that I wanted to bring your attention. Verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Your sojourning here in fear. Focus first on the fact that the Spirit passage speaks of our time here as a time of sojourn, a temporary time of dwelling, a temporary time that we hear. To sojourn is defined as to stay or reside temporarily by Collins English Dictionary. Do you think God meant to use that word? I think God meant to use that word. To stay or to reside temporarily. And incredibly, the Bible is so consistent with respect to this. Beloved, think about this, seriously. He says, the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now, I want, I, want, I want to make sure that you've got the context of this. First Peter, Peter is writing to the dispersed of the Jews. They were in Jerusalem. They were there. They were among the brethren there, but then persecution came and they dispersed. They went into all places around Asia Minor and all those areas out of Israel. Okay, But nowhere in 1 Peter is he concerned with their travels in their own different localities where they've moved to, as if they're going to be coming back to Jerusalem. That's not what he's referring to. The sojourning he's referring to is the one that's consistent in other portions of the scripture where it speaks about our sojourning here on earth, in this world. We are here temporarily. We are here for a time. And we are to live in a certain way. Turn forward just one chapter to First Peter chapter 2. He becomes consistent in this theme as he considers about how we are to live. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. While here you've got other, other themes that are now brought in, you're starting to recognise that Christians aren't perfect. <laughs> We're not perfect. We still have fleshly lusts that war against the soul. But it's something that we are to endure. But nevertheless, we are as strangers and pilgrims. Earth is not our home. We are strangers here. We are strangers here. There's this consistency that we're finding 
in the text. Have a look at verse 12 as he goes on. And he writes this, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. He goes on in verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, not your sake, for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king is supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him, for what purpose? For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Never, ever, ever underestimate God's use of the leaders of the world. Never underestimate it. It is for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. This is vitally important to understand, beloved, especially in the world that we're living in at the moment. God will not use holy um, kings and rulers to judge the evildoers necessarily. He can also use the wicked to do the same thing. And somehow it turns out for the praise of them that do well. We don't know how. Studying political history and studying economics, I know how this is going to be working out for those who are ungodly. I can see it. They don't realise it, but it's perfectly described in Scripture that they dig a pit that they themselves will fall into. And this is something that's not understood by the world because they lack wisdom. They lack the understanding. But this is here for the Lord's sake. We are plainly charged to have our conversation honest among the Gentiles. This is how we live while we sojourn here. Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Your ambassadorship, your witness of the citizenry of heaven will, will work out to glorify God in the day of visitation in the hearts and the minds of these individuals. Their eyes will be opened one day. All of them will. The Bible says every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How is your light witnessing to them? How are you witnessing to them? How is your life witnessing to them? Are you looking like a local? You're trying to fit in with the local? You're compromising with the locals? You're trying to walk that tightrope, trying to make sure that you're living for the Lord at least one day a week, and then the rest of the week you look like a local? Do they see you as a stranger? Or do they see you as a local? And if they see you as a local... How does God see you? Worthy question to ask. Have a conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now, I want you to notice something that Peter was not suggesting in this passage that the government is holy, but only that they are sent by God for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. This is not a sermon about obeying government, but I want you it's worth noting that we obey government. Because we are first obeying God. We are first obeying God. The only place that crosses the line is the same place for which Peter was crucified upside down. And that is for the sake of the gospel and the ordinances of God. I want you to listen to this. This was a godless government in the time Peter 
had charged the people to obey it. It's the same government that put him upside down on a cross. And it's really interesting because Paul stated the same thing in Romans chapter 11, speaking about obeying government. Both died under their respective reigns of these evil governments, yet both taught to be faithful to it. And the under, as the, the government itself is the underling of God, orchestrating God's judgments upon the wicked. The only time it crosses the line for us, beloved, is when it, um, when it goes against the gospel. We are obeying government because we are obeying God. Obeying God is our first preference. That's our, not our preference, that's our first ordinance. That's our first command. The only reason we obey government is because we are obeying God. Where it crosses us is when there's a hindrance to the gospel of Christ. I'm sorry, I can't obey that. When it's against the ordinances of God, the basic law of God, they command me to kill, I'm sorry, I can't obey that. They command me to steal, I'm sorry, I can't obey that. Okay, Because I need to obey God, not man. They command me to lie, I'm sorry, I can't obey that. There's more to talk about there, but I digress. We are to live by faith, knowing that there is a better promise that we are to receive. And like the prophets of old, we too are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We're going to belong here. Do you belong here? I hope you don't belong here. We don't belong here. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. The famous chapter on faith. Hebrews chapter 11. The apostle here speaks of those that have gone before as looking for a better country, but they hadn't received it yet. They lived their life honest among the Gentiles, and they gave their life for how they lived. They were strangers to the Gentiles then. Have a look from verse 13. It's written there, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. This is what we desire. This is why you and I groan and while you and I travail with all of creation in pain together until now, we do so because we are strangers on the earth. We long for a better country. That is, an heavenly. We look about us and we see that how this world operates and we often run the risk of arguing with governors and rulers thinking that somehow this is our home. <laughs> this is not our home. This place belongs to the locals belongs to the locals. Little wonder so many argue with us about the things we think is normal. Uh, no wonder they, they, they look at us as if we come from another world. We do. We do. We're strangers here. We are children of the living God and we are here to do his work. We are here to continue in this work, 
having our conversation honest among the Gentiles. That whereas they speak of you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Why is this so? Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. You'll notice by having me ask you to turn to so many different portions of the Bible, I am on the other side convincing you of the need to memorise all the different books of the Bible. The gentlemen already have, you know, so the ladies might have to catch up. Learn the order of the scriptures and you'll find them without a problem. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. This letter, this epistle was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison. And he simply says, Therefore our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why. Our life, our manner of life is heaven bound. It is where our Lord will change our vile body into that which may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. This is where our manner of life is to reflect. Beloved, we are ambassadors of a heavenly government. We represent a place that is true, that is good, that is just, that is holy. Now, strangers of the earth, we have therefore our conversation, our manner of life reflecting that heavenly nation. That's how our life should reflect. That's what our life should reflect. It's just like our sporting teams. Our sporting teams go overseas and they represent the nation. They represent the country. But when they returned, if they behaved themselves badly in the nations to which they were sent... As representatives, they are criticised by the government of the land that they represented. Do you understand what I'm talking about there? It's exactly the same for us, beloved. We are ambassadors. And Paul wrote this. He says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 to 21. Paul writes, we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is exactly what our teams are when they go into other nations. They represent the nation from which they were sent. We represent a heavenly civilization. We are citizens of heaven and that's who we represent when we're here. When we poorly represent that godly government, we cannot expect praise. But when we do, when we do properly represent that holy government, then whereas they speak of you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Last point this morning, citizens of heaven. This is about our home. Talk just a little bit about our home and talk just a little bit about heaven. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. The last of the five major prophets. 
to the middle of the Bibles, you can turn right, you'll go past Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and you'll get Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, the last chapter. The book of Daniel has 12 chapters. It's broken up into 6 and 6. The first 6 are uh, historical. They're a narrative. And the second 6 are prophetic. There's a structure to that book. That's why sometimes it might seem hard to understand because the timeline seems to cross. But one's historical, the other one's prophetic. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Daniel here is speaking with regards to the end, the final government in the last days. And he says here, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars for ever and ever. Beloved, there is a time soon coming after this time of trouble that the reign after the reign of the final kingdom on earth, where some shall wake to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Hollywood has its stars imprinted in clay. That heaven has its stars light up the night. Bit of a difference, isn't it? We glorify the stars of Hollywood. Yet the Lord will lift you up. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 43, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's no inconsistency in the scriptures. It makes it abundantly clear. Isaiah gave us a picture of that which is to come as well. Turn your book of Isaiah. Turn to chapter 65. You know that there's 66 books in the book of Isaiah. There's 66 books in the Bible. 66 chapters in Isaiah. 66 book in the Bible. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. 27 in the New. Isaiah has a fascinating break after the 39th book. And the next 27, after the 39th chapter, and then the next 27 seems to be very, very different. Interesting. Interesting as you get to the last few chapters of the book of Isaiah, it speaks about the end. Hmm. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Isaiah 65, did I say 5? Sorry, 65, Isaiah 65. Verse 17, he writes, For behold, there's obviously God speaking, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Here we have a new heaven and a new earth we're told to come. But more than this, the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Everything that is here today will be forgotten. Everything that is here 
Everything that is here is temporary. The Bible speaks of a new city of Jerusalem also coming down from heaven. Keep your finger here in Isaiah and turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. The last book of the Bible. That was the second last chapter of the book of Isaiah. We're looking at the second last chapter now of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Isn't it interesting? I love the Bible, how it sort of fits in these little neat packages like that. Isaiah 66 chapters, the Bible 66 books. Second last chapter of Isaiah, reflecting the second last chapter of the Bible. Fascinates me. Maybe I get excited about it. You don't have to, but I do. I do get excited about it. There's a new heaven and there is a new earth. And beloved, these will be eternal. They shall remain forever. And all former things will be passed away. Turn back to Isaiah and go to the last chapter, verse chapter 66. Chapter 66. Isaiah 66, and we'll have a look at verse 22. <coughs> For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Speaking about Israel, the nation. There's a really interesting concept in the Bible. It speaks about our names written in the book of life. Bible also speaks about us receiving a new name. I don't know what that name's going to be. I've got no idea. In biblical times, people, when everybody's name that was named was given a meaning, it all had a meaning. And that meaning was to represent the individual. And it's amazing how often it does. Noah, this same shall comfort us. His name meant comfort. And Noah indeed comforted his family through their, through their travail and through that, that, that endeavour. There's so many of them and you can go through them. Nabal meant a fool and indeed Nabal was a fool. You know. We're going to be receiving a new name in heaven and it's going to perfectly represent your life here. Your life here. It will define you, describe you. It will identify who you are. It will identify everything about you. And there's not going to be two with the same name, I don't think. I'm guessing, I don't know, but I don't think there will be two people with the same name. Because I think if the Lord can make all the leaves of the earth still leaves, and yet they're all different, if the Lord can make every snowflake completely different, yet it's all snow, I'm pretty sure that he can actually give names to every single person. The multitude in heaven perfectly describing each and every individual, but all having a different name. 
That's going to be incredible. Going to be incredible. There is in us a desire and a longing for a better country. It's what we look for. And this is that new creation to which the entire creation also groans and travails. You don't believe me? Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. There's something strange here. I won't spend too much time dwelling on it, but I do want to point it out. Because I want you to understand that it's not just you that groans and travails. It's not just you that is burdened, that is looking forward to that home. It's not just you that feels like a stranger. But something strange has happened to all of creation. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 23, we'll read. Paul writes, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, that is, creation itself, the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body is what happens when we are glorified, when we are with the Lord, when we have heaven as our home, when we are identified as the citizens in heaven with the saints of heaven. But Paul speaks, firstly, that our sufferings aren't to be compared to that which is revealed, but there's something interesting. We've just discovered something interesting, and that is that the fall of man affected much, much more than just man. All of nature and creation, the entire construct of creation, fell into decay. Fell into decay. That's interesting. And it's interesting because science speaks and bears witness to this. They speak of what's known as the exponential decay curve. How that somehow the universe was once in perfect order, but now moves from order to disorder moves from order to disorder through what is known as the law of entropy. There's this change. There's this change. We have moved now from order to disorder. This, this, this exponential decay curve has occurred. So even science identifies and recognises that this entire universe had perfect order. It was originally wound up and set perfect. And now all of creation has moved from order to and moving towards disorder. The disordered states increase in time. This is, this is with regards to explaining the law of entropy. Disordered states increase in time and is irreversible without any effort to return it to order. Seems to happen by itself. You know, it takes effort to make something that's ordered, right? It takes no effort whatsoever to let it go into disorder. Just need to look at my son's bedroom when he was living there. My garage, you know. 
It's, it just does, doesn't take much. It takes no effort whatsoever to watch it fall into disorder, but it takes effort to reorder it. Interestingly, however, God will create a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. And all of creation, including ourselves, groan and travail in greater disorder until that comes. Verse 23, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our bodies. Nevertheless, 2 Peter 3.13 says, We, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Let me close on this. We know and we understand that we are strangers in this world. The locals see us as strangers. We find ourselves feeling like strangers. We long for home. We long for that better country. We long to be there. And we sometimes wonder and ask ourselves why it is that we are here to remain. Why do we have to stay? Um, Some of us have a battle, a struggle with sin that we find it difficult to overcome. And we ask the same question. That question arises within our minds again because there's something very different about how we're we used to live and how we live and our desires have changed. Everything's changed. Moses was born in the land. We were born in this world. Moses was separated from the land and was always seen as a stranger. We are now separated. We're called a heavenly nation. We're citizens of heaven, a new country. What are we to do? Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. As well as being honest among the Gentiles, as well as living faithfully to the Lord, as well as submitting ourselves to every ordinance of man, as well as caring for those who need care, as well as giving to those who are going without, as well as blessing those who are in need of blessing and even blessing our persecutors, Jesus is the one who gave us that final command. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This is our work. We know that there is an end for man, and we know why Christ came and why he died, and we know the good news. Meanwhile... Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust dust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and wherein thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is there, will your heart be also, Matthew six nineteen to twenty one. Why? Why do we do that? Well turn your Bibles to first Corinthians. First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter three. We do this work and we continue to be faithful to the Lord in this effort because even for us there is a reward for it. And what we want to be laying up is our treasures in heaven. We want to make sure that it's the right stuff. First Corinthians chapter three, verse twelve. 
Paul writes here, he says, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Our original text began with a recognition in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were brought nigh by the blood of Christ. Jesus saved us. The only reason we have a hope in heaven is because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. That's the only reason we can claim heaven as our home. That's the only reason we can, we can refer to ourselves as citizens of heaven. That's our home. And that's what we look forward to. And that's what we long for. But we've got a work to do here, beloved. We've got a work to do here. And that is to share the gospel of Christ to all who would listen. Now, I know many of us find it difficult to share the gospel, but please, you don't have an excuse not to pray. You have always time to pray. And to be a prayer evangelist would be something incredible. I've spoken about it before, how many people have come to the Lord. Actually, I don't know any who hasn't come to the Lord through prayer. But somehow the Lord has worked upon their hearts to turn them to Christ. We are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. This is the gospel of Christ. You and I were far off. We were strangers, we were foreigners to God, but now we were brought nigh by the blood of Christ. Jesus had broken down that middle wall of partition between us and God. And it is simply found in a word. It's simply found in the gospel of Christ. We don't have anything to fear anymore. Death itself is swallowed up in victory. We are sojourners, we are pilgrims. We're not quite tourists, but the point is we are no longer locals. And yet we speak to the multitude that Jesus had died and there is a more excellent way. There is a more excellent way. We speak of hope through the gospel to all who believe. We speak of the love of God who takes away the sin of the world through faith. We speak to those who have never heard the gospel. We speak to those who have heard the gospel time and again but are still at enmity with God, still strangers to him, still foreigners of heaven, still locals of this world that is against them. I think of those... That's a confusing one for me. There are, there are those who have heard the gospel time and time again and still won't, won't believe. And I get confused by that. I don't understand it. And I look at it this way. There are people in lands today of tremendous oppression. There are people in, in, in nations today that are completely oppressed. Okay? They have no freedom. They are persecuted. They are, have their goods confiscated from them. They have people locked up in prison simply for speaking out against the government. They have no freedom whatsoever. And I imagine for a moment that there was an open door in front of them and there's nobody hindering them from walking out into another land. 
I sometimes wonder, I mean, th imagine yourself in a room as a citizen of the most oppressive, oppressive regime in history and before you is an open door with no guard and no one stopping you from going out. No one preventing you from simply walking out and become a citizen of a better country, a free country. But instead you choose to stay. Imagine for a moment that all your family has already left the room and they're calling you on the other side to come out, but you won't. You stay in the oppressive regime. You stay as a local in that country knowing what's coming. This is the gospel that is presented to those who choose to remain locals. The Lord spoke about many things with regards to this. Our work is to share the gospel regardless. We are to love those into the kingdom of God and we are to show them a better way, a better country. And it's not hard to believe the gospel. It's simply to admit that you're a sinner, to believe the gospel and to call on the name of the Lord. That's it. So those ABCs we, we, we gave consideration to. Simply to admit you're a sinner, to believe the gospel and to call the Lord to save you. And I pray that each of you would live your lives consistent with the heavenly calling with which you have as ambassadors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for the word of the living God, for the hope of Christ, and for the citizenship of heaven. We thank you for the blessing that that is. And I ask and pray, dear Lord, that you would impact the hearts of those who would hear, and that you would turn about, dear Lord, also those who are stubborn, those who refuse to leave that oppressive country and to come to a better one, a heavenly, a joy that we have to look forward to. I praise you, Father, for the work that you do within our lives and I ask you, dear Lord, transform us continually and help us rejoice in the home of heaven that we have to look forward to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.